This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning, Keith. Good morning. Start with some breaking news. What have you got there? Yeah, BC Ferries is going to have a new CEO announced today, if not this morning. Uh, Mark Collins had been the former CEO, was dismissed recently. So the new CEO is Nicholas Jimenez, who's the current CEO of ICBC. He's moving over. Uh, and the reason for that, no coincidence, Joy McPhail had been the chair of ICBC working with Jimenez, and they got along like a house on fire. And now she's the chair of BC Ferries, and Jimenez is rejoining her to run. Is the, this but, her call or the premier's call? I would think she had a, a lot to do with this, I would yeah. think. You know, she's, uh, anybody knows Joy McPhail knows she's her own person. Um, so I think this is uh, probably Joy McPhail's call. So this guy's going from running ICBC to now running BC Ferries. Mm-hmm. So he's, what does he know about ferries? Well, his, whole, his whole career's been in auto insurance. Now he's going to run a ferry fleet? I'm not sure his whole career was in auto insurance. Well, it's recently been recently, running. But um, I think it's just more management style. It's, uh-huh. uh, there's a new, I think the board is more um, active at BC Ferries than it had been in the past. I'm not sure, you know, uh, David Hahn came into BC Ferries with no ferry experience at all. Yeah. But he had come from the transportation sector. He ran an, an airline in New York City. Right. Um, but he also worked for Hertz Rent-A-Car. So, yeah. you know, you don't, not, you don't think you need industry experience as much as you need management experience. Why did they fire the last guy? I just think there was a, a falling out with the government. Remember, um, early in the pandemic, ferries just suddenly laid off thousands of people yeah. when no one else was doing that, really. Everyone was trying to protect jobs. Yeah. Uh, also c- cut some runs arbitrarily without not realizing that for all the quasi-independence BC Ferries has, it's still an arm of government, really, yeah. when, at the end of the day. Um, even though, you know, under David Hahn, the new model was sort of an independent model, but there was always a, a, a recognition from ferries that you still had some political considerations to factor in your decision-making. And that was not the case early in the pandemic when it seemed to be out of step with what the government was doing. Okay, very interesting breaking news there. Nicholas Jimenez is the incoming president of CEO CEO of BC Ferries. It's very interesting breaking news there. Let's talk about another busy day here for Premier David Eby in Prince George today, Mm -hmm. where they just had 300 layoffs after Canfor shut down that pulp mill. Yeah, so he's meeting with some of those people uh, at noon today. Um, He'll be meeting with some of the the layoff people. I don't think he's bringing a financial package with him to Prince George. Uh, That is still in the works, I would assume. It's not going to be done quickly. At 1.30, he's got a news conference announcing a um, value-added manufacturing project, which we've seen other premiers announce value-added over the years, and it doesn't really take off. So this is, you know... Value-added is like instead of like shipping just raw lumber or, or logs or raw logs, you make like... Shakes and shingles, and or furniture, tables, and molding. Exactly. Instead of just uh, milling two by fours, you actually build something with it. So we'll see what that is. How long have we been talking about that in this province? That that's what we have to do forever. Forever. I first my first days covering forestry, the Vancouver Sun. I think one of the first stories I did was Bill Bennett talking about value added. 
so it's it's been done in bits bits and starts, but the forest industry is at a real crossroads because the fiber supply is dwindling. Mm. Uh, the, a lot of mills are antiquated and yeah. not uh, really high tech. Uh, labor costs are, are significant. So you got the Canfor mill uh, closing 300 jobs, um, which is quite a kick in the teeth. And then tonight, AB's at a, a natural resources public forum in Prince George, where I think forestry is going to be the main topic. On Wednesday, he's going to have another announcement, a project uh, partnering with First Nations. I'm not sure exactly what that's about, but it's a forestry Announcement Thursday, he's talking to the Truck Loggers Association. So it's very wow. much a forestry week for the new premier. Okay, this is uh, and this industry going through tough times right now. Let's have a listen to Kevin Edgson here. He's the president of Canfor Pulp, and here he is talking about the decision to shut down this pulp mill in Prince George. Very clearly, this is a, a, a difficult decision that had had to be done. PG Pulp is our smallest pulp line with the least amount of flexibility around its its uh, product offering. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting point he made there. This was an older mill. They couldn't transition it to make something else, so mm-hmm. he said it was. they had to shut it down. You know, Canfor's got operations outside of Canada. They've got a mill in Sweden that has a very low work for, workforce in terms of numbers, but very high tech. Yeah. So it's a, a modern mill. It's not the old-fashioned mill that's labor-intensive, and that may be the way of the future. Yeah, un- unfortunately, we, we ha- live in a very high-cost high environment here for this industry right we got high taxes we got lots of regulations we've had the pine beetle infestation wiped out hundreds of thousands of hectares of forest we've had devastating forest fires it's burned down a lot of forests mm-hmm. and the government has cut has reduced the ant what's known as the annual allowable yeah, cut to preserve and allow some of this forest to recover and it's scheduled to continue to go down mm-hmm. in the years going forward so that to me is like the pain is not over here for this sector. Oh, no. The forest industry has been struggling for years, and it's going to continue to struggle because of yeah. uh, lack of fiber supply. It's chief and foremost, the main concern. You also factor in there's a lot of old growth uh, stands that are taken off the table. They've been protected. So the available uh, fiber is dwindling, and if you've got less and less fiber, you've got fewer and fewer jobs. Let's listen to David Eby here, a recent comment here talking about this industry. Here he is. We do have a shortage of uh, timber uh, and feedstock, so we need to get more jobs out of the trees that we do have, and that will only come through innovation and uh, and using materials wisely. Okay, so more jobs out of the existing number of trees. I guess that's value-added again, right? And I think he's going to be talking about that theme tomorrow and today, yeah. uh, getting more jobs out of the existing supply. Uh, I'm not ex- exactly sure how that translates into what we see on the ground. Yeah, and the Liberals will continue to say that Government should has their taxes are too high. Uh, I've already heard complaints about stumpage being too high. That is the fee the government mm-hmm. charges forest companies to cut down trees on crown land. The problem is if you start cutting that stumpage rate or you start giving subsidies or bailouts to this industry, you invite a potential trade war from the Americans. Exactly. The right? never ending softwood duty war yeah. with the states. Uh, and that's another thing that's always hovering in the background. If you start monkeying with stumpage, the U.S. cries foul. This is a publicly subsidized uh, company, unlike the private operators in the states, and that enacts all sorts of uh, penalties and such. So that's why the government has to be careful on that. In Difficult. terms of taxes, I bet you Canfor pays more in taxes in Sweden than it pays here. Sweden has a much higher taxation rate. Mm. In British, in British Columbia, but I think the labor costs for Canfor are much lower. In there, there will be pressure on government for some sort of help, though, bailout, subsidies, uh, retraining programs. Well, traditionally, we've, we've seen other, um, when sectors 
sort of have a meltdown. You have uh, early retirement packages, yeah. uh, retraining for different for other skills for other industries. This only takes you so far. When you lose a job. Uh, that feeds your family that you've been working at for 20 years. It's not an easy fix. Let me ask you about another pressure point on government here, and that is on-the-job violence in BC hospitals and, mm-hmm. and other healthcare facilities. Now, if we go back to October, you'll recall that Adrian Dix, a health minister, announced over 300 new security officers to be placed on duty in BC hospitals where nurses are being assaulted. So far, they've only hired four, four, yeah. four since announcing this program in October. I spoke about it yesterday with Amon Graywall, who is the president of the BC Nurses Union. Have a listen to what she says here. Our members get punched, kicked, grabbed, spat on, as well as being verbally and sexually harassed. Our work is dangerous. What's the holdup here with getting these security officers? Not entirely sure, but, you know, we've got staffing problems everywhere. Yeah. And I wonder if that's part of it as well. I mean, restaurants are closing because they can't get staff. You've got uh, enormous absences in all sorts of sectors. Ferries shuts down sailings because they have no staff. Uh, so you have to wonder whether this is also a, a, a hiring problem that affects that goes beyond just this. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Baldry's Beat, Keith Baldry is my guest. Let's go right to your phone calls here. Rick and Delta. Hi, Rick, go ahead. Yeah, I was just curious. Anybody heard about what the guy that left BC Theories, what kind of golden handshake and how much that cost the BC taxpayer? Good question. Not entirely sure. You pay big bucks, though, right, if you're the head of BC Ferries? Although I think Jimenez is taking a pay cut from what Collins made. Oh, really? my understanding, yeah. I I mean, you know, you're, you're making, you know, Big salaries of both of these crowns, right? CEOs make big salaries. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether you're in pri- well, private sector, you make a lot more than you make in the pri- what public do you th- sector. What do you think will be his marching orders or priorities over there? I mean, are, there tra- are there problems at BC Ferries right now? Well, I think the the ongoing problem is staffing. Yeah. You know, staff shortages. I think they're, you could argue, uh, top heavy with administration. Uh, the the number of managers and that is, seems to have grown significantly in recent. Uh, um, certainly, the union is making that an issue, uh, but I think staffing is is one of the big problems. Keep calling me six zero four two eight zero ninety eight ninety eight is the number star ninety eight ninety eight on your cell. Gordon and Camloops. Hi, Gordon. Go ahead. Oh, I just about uh, Cam for how come out doesn't get mentioned about Jimmy Patterson being a majority owner. Mm-hmm. And they're ruthless, and their track record of shutting down mills, and they still keep the tenures of the of the timber rights. 
Yeah, thank, no, no. Jimmy, Jimmy Fadison, Ken Flores, you know, they don't, I'm not sure they have a majority stake, but they've got a very high stake uh, in Can And Patterson uh, sort of does run a, a tight ship when it comes to operations. If you're losing money, you're not going to survive in that company. Yeah. And, you know, we played the clip from the CEO there saying that this was, it had to be done. Like, you know. Well, and they, they they still have like other pulp mills going up mm-hmm. there. Um, Panfor is still a major operation in, yeah. in British Columbia. But when you take a look at the annual allowable cut and how much it is scheduled to go down, so like right now, uh, sixty three million cubic meters was the annual allowable cut of wood in twenty twenty one. That is scheduled to go down to fifty six million mm-hmm. by twenty twenty six, and then fifty one million. Yep. By 2030. So hence, I just did a quick math, and that's so you're looking at a further 16% cut. Hence the value added announcements from David yeah. Eby. We'll see if they're successful, but to get more jobs out of the existing timber rather than just milling two. It's going four. to get worse before it gets better, potentially here. Dave in the Fraser Valley. Hi, Dave. Go ahead. Yeah. Good morning, gentlemen. I don't know if uh, you guys can comment. I started with my Globe Mail uh, about a few months back about Mosaic Forest products on Vancouver Island where they've deferred logging on about 45,000 hectares of land they control, and now are opting just to sell the carbon credits off the land and not log it. And I know we at one point looked at buying some land the Mosaic had for sale. They've taken it all off the market and now are just planting and selling carbon credits. And the article talked about that over 25 years, they'll make $300 million not logging the land and just selling carbon credits. (laughs) It's about $2,700 an acre per year. And that's a lot of timber and forestry jobs gone down by, by the wayside. Yeah, yeah there's been a lot of criticism of various climate strategies, uh, carbon credits, uh, sequestering, um, all sorts of schemes that a lot of people figure are not quite as on the up and up as you would think. Not familiar yeah. with this particular situation. I'm not saying mosaics involved in that, but some of the some of the carbon schemes are open to question. Yeah, and meanwhile, you've got actual human beings kind of cut, cut in the middle here. I mean, 300 people being laid off in a city like Prince George. This is an enormous economic That's hit. brutal. And we've had, I think, 25 sawmills shut down over the last and few years. Mills. It could get worse. Yeah, there was a report a number of years ago saying there were just too many pulp mills on the coast of British Columbia that some of the, it was basically culling the herd to allow the survival of some many had to go yeah i'll speak to ward by the way a quick promo for tomorrow's show ward stamer who is the the mayor of barrier bc is a forest dependent community mm-hmm. and he texted me yesterday saying like there should be more focus on this industry these towns these cities that rely on it there's a lot of pain going on in these communities and it's going to get worse so I agreed with him. I said, absolutely, let's come on and talk about it. He'll be on tomorrow's show. You know, I think it's something that is going to be, like you, you mentioned, that EB's got a ton of announcements on this coming up. Well, I'm not sure you can pull a rabbit out of the hat here. It's, a, yeah. it's an industry that's been on the decline for years for a number of issues. Yeah. Uh, I remember I started covering forestry in the 80s. It was a robust industry. I worked in a mill as a kid. Um, and, you know, so many of my buddies did as well, uh, was, was what in U.S. Minster, we had a number of mills he could go, go work in. But many of these places have disappeared. Jobs have been uh, 
vanished. This industry has been in decline for years. It didn't happen overnight. It's been a slow, slow decline, and it's going to get worse. Liberals will be on the tack. I mean, they're already on the attack on this. Uh, I, I was listening to the liberals yesterday on this saying, well, what about the carbon tax? This has been really, really tough on this industry. The problem is, if you start giving one-off tax exemptions to some of these industries, mm-hmm. you're just inviting that trade war, like we said earlier. Because once you start giving subsidies, tax breaks, cutting stumpage, the Americans, you know, they've got their intent. They're ready to go to war again. That's so one they, industry that's particularly vulnerable to an American attack. Yeah, No other industry really finds itself in the crosshairs of its competitors across the border like forestry does. Right. So how can... We've only got a minute left here, but how, how can the government sort of engineer some sort of transition for this industry. Like we heard from EB say yesterday, well, we've got to be smarter. We've got to do more with the timber supply that we have. Like you said, you get deja vu on this stuff. I remember listening to premiers 20 years ago say the same thing. I think one of the keys may be partnership with First Nations. I think that's gonna, that may be one of the key moving forward. I talked to a senior forestry executive last year who said the key moving forward is partner with First Nations. That's how you get things done.